1500 and 2000 UTC. Welcome to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington, working on this program, very mod. Here are some of the top stories making news across Sudan and South Sudan. This Friday, August 5th, 2022, some residents of Juba Town expressed mixed reactions to the move to extend the mandate of the South Sudan's transitional government of national unity. President Salvatore is going now like, you know, to 10 years in power. You know, through extensions, transitions, and and people are fed up. People want to elect their own leaders, leaders they think deserve you know, to be in the public offices. And a veteran South Sudanese politician says the move to extend the transitional government of national unity is not in the interest of the majority of South Sudanese struggling to find food for their families. Some, some parties in the alliance, yes, are supporting the extension uh, because they want to continue in government, but it cannot be said in a legal sense. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. Some South Sudanese have expressed mixed views on the decision by the parties to the revitalized peace agreement to extend the transitional period. Emmanuel Jansouk, a South Sudanese in Juba, says the extension should be in the interest of the people and not selfish desires of politicians. Other citizens say President Kir and First Vice President Riyak Machar have intentionally delayed the implementation of the peace agreement to buy time for extending the transitional period. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. Straits of Juba are calm. Friday, day after South Sudan's peace partners agreed to extend the transitional periods for two more years. While some residents of Juba say they don't care about the extension, others are very bitter and concerned about the impact of the extension on the road to peace in South Sudan. Deng Bill Williams says he sees the extension of the transitional period as a plan for President Kir to remain in power for a long time. President Salpakir is going now like, you know, to 10 years in power, you know, through extensions, transitions, and, and people are fed up. People want to elect their own leaders, leaders they think deserve, you know, to be in the public offices. For example, MPs, they have been there like, you know, for 10 years. Those are Makuilwe. I think some people want to take up, you know, their positions because leadership is a national cake. It is like other natural resources should be shared. President Salfakir told a gathering on Thursday the extension of the transitional period was meant to prevent the country from rushing into elections that may see the country returning to war. But Juba resident Thondingor says he disagrees with Mr. Kir, saying the move only extends what he calls misrule in the country. That these people wanted to extend the misrule for decades and decades. It is not about preventing war. These people were in the same government in 2016. Why did they fight when they were in the same government? Now they, they, will, they will be in the same government and they will not fight. They fight in 2016 when they were in the same government. You know, we now have the right to tell all of them to step aside. 
John Enoch, another resident of Juba Town, says the extension of the transitional period only prolongs the suffering of the South Sudanese people under transitional governments. The negative impact is that we're going to continue suffering for a long time under what we call extension. We are going to see the same people extending for a long time, long time, long time, on which we don't know when, when are going to hell elections. You may never know reaching the end of 2024. Things are not yet implemented. So what are you going to do? So it's really very hard. Another South Sudanese who prefers to be identified only as Kenyi for fear of reprisals says he is confused about the direction South Sudan is heading. We never know the government is heading where and is going to end where. That is just something briefly I can talk. Things are not okay. Everything is increasing seriously. Kenya is referring to the economic situation in the country where prices of food commodities have skyrocketed and the action rate for U.S. dollars keeps climbing. Another South Sudanese who spoke on condition of anonymity for fear of the government reaction says the decision to extend the transitional period for another two years makes her feel sad. I am not happy with it because for the, few, for the last few years, what have they done? What are they going to do different? Even if they extend uh, the period, nothing will change. There will be no difference. So it's pointless. I'm, I'm requesting the international community to step in and push for them so that we can have elections soon. This week, the ambassadors of Norway and the United Kingdom, as well as the Charge d'Affaires of the U.S. Embassy in Juba, boycotted the ceremony announcing the extension of the transitional period. The envoy said the plan to extend the transitional period was not inclusive. For VOA News, Amanyang David Mayor in Juba. The leader of the National Democratic Movement has distanced his group from South Sudan's new roadmap for the implementation of the peace agreement. Veteran South Sudanese politician Lamakol Ajawing says extending the transitional period does not serve the interests of South Sudanese who are struggling to put food on the table for their families. The lack of implementation of, of the peace agreement was a deliberate act as a result of uh, absence of goodwill. It wasn't something that was imposed by, by the time, but it was deliberate from the beginning. And the objective was to extend the transitional period when the time comes. So there is no good reason for extension. Uh, they have not told us why it was not possible in the last four years to implement the necessary requirements for elections to be conducted. So what will be new to the same people who could not, uh, who did not have the will to implement the agreement in four years, what will change in two years? Yes. The parties at the ceremony which was held at Freedom Hall in Juba yesterday, uh, they said the decision mm-hmm. to extend the transitional period was taken unanimously by the signatories who who had their representatives uh, present there. You are one of the signatories uh, with uh, the National Democratic one, Movement. How do one you... One of the signatories. Yes. Yes. The civil society were a very important component. They signed the agreement as the stakeholders. They were not there. So I don't know what do, you, what do they mean by unanimity. It wasn't unanimous. It wasn't even discussed in a, in a way that can allow uh, views to be expressed and listened to. So 
and, and, and above all, there is a conflict of interest. Is it, is it part of the amendment of the, of the, the peace agreement for the, for the government to extend its own life? For example, in, in, in America now, can, can the majority party that is, that is uh, uh, holding that administration, can they change article of the constitution to say, well, instead of the president being there for four years, let him be there for six years. Can you, is it possible? There's a conflict of interest here. So when you distance yourself, and like I said, you are a signatory, the National Democratic Movement is a signatory, part of an alliance, of yeah. course. When you distance yourself, but that's not the position of your alliance, right? Your alliance had a representative. Pardon? When the alliance is made up of a number of political parties, and the rules of any alliance is that if, if we want to have something done in the name of the alliance, then it must get the support of all the parties. So this is not uh, according to the rules of the alliance. Some, some parties in the alliance, yes, are supporting the extension uh, because they want to continue in government, but it cannot be said in a legal sense that that represents the opinion of the alliance. The transitional period was fast expiring, and there was no way all the tasks included in the peace agreement would be carried out in time so that elections could be held in December this year before the interim period expired in February 2023. What are you proposing that the parties should have done if not extend the transitional period? What I'm, what I'm proposing is this, you know, the issue now is the elections, isn't it? So if, if the elections were caught up by time, what the parties should have done is to prepare a timetable for the election. How long will it take for an election to be carried out? Uh, when, when implementing the prerequisites, then we make a free and fair election. Things like define the forces, the permanent constitution, the judicial reform, and all this. So let us let us make let us prepare a timetable for the election. If if that period goes beyond the twenty second of February, twenty twenty three, then we need we need a whole uh, roundtable conference or the South Sudanese the forces, the active forces in South Sudan, the political parties, the civil society, the all-out groups, all these should sit in a timetable outside South Sudan and do the mediation of either uh, IGAD, AU, UN, or three of them, because as you know, the, the, the three of them are mediating here in South Sudan. So that conference will be the one to decide uh, when would the election be carried out and under which administration? That's Lama Kol, leader of the National Democratic Movement. He was speaking with my colleague Nabil Biagio this past hour from Khartoum. Experts from the UN Human Rights Commission say violence in parts of South Sudan is on the rise. The UN officials say violence allegedly stage managed by some political elite 
has shifted from the capital Juba to other parts of the country. A member of the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan says their research indicates the violence is in form of cattle raids, contested administrative boundaries and ethnicity. For VOA News, Wake Simon Wudu reports from Juba. Officials with the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan spoke during a Thursday news conference in Juba after wrapping up a four-day visit to the country to follow up efforts to address rights abuses. Benny Afeko, a member of the UN Commission on Human Rights in South Sudan, says political elites continue to use various opportunities to advance their interests. And we've also seen that in, in, in South Sudan, conflict has continued to spread. It may well be that Juba is relatively quiet, but the political competition between the elites is now being shifted outside of Juba uh, to the various states uh, where uh, significant political actors are competing uh, for, for political power in those areas, uh, in those communities, in anticipation of, of, of future uh, arrangements uh, where the transition will be over, who will be dominant. Afeko says several forms of violence orchestrated by certain political interests continue to pop up in parts of the country, resulting in conflict related sexual abuses. And this kind of violence is not uniform. Some of it is expressed, as, as we say, in, in, in the rustling of, of cattle and raiding. Uh, some of it is expressed in, in contestation of administrative boundaries. Uh, and some of it is between ethnic groups. But at the heart of it, uh, we think that this violence is, is political. Um, and, and as we continue to do our, our research, uh, we find that it is, in fact, not it is, it is spreading. Yasmin Soka, the chair of the commission, says the transitional government of national unity has done very little to address impunity in the country. Soka says cases of conflict-related sexual violence is on the rise in parts of the country. She says the absence of justice for victims of sexual violence in South Sudan has traumatized some women who are suffering from stigmatization. We need to see more accountability. And we don't only need to see the foot soldiers prosecuted. What we want to see is that the leadership of the different armed forces, in fact, hold commanders accountable. Andrew Clapham, another member of the UN Human Rights Commission, is calling on the transitional government of national unity to take concrete steps to address sexual violence in the country. He says despite a couple of efforts by South Sudanese officials to address impunity, the UN Commission has yet to see the perpetrators of sexual abuse held accountable. One of the things we're calling for today is that the government should publicly commit to a zero-tolerance policy. Uh, this should be a zero-tolerance policy towards sexual and gender-based violence. And such a commitment could, we feel, be concretely demonstrated by standing down or even prosecuting senior government and military officials associated with such crimes. 
South Sudan government spokesperson Michael McQuay has previously dismissed statements from the UN Commission on Human Rights Experts. Otherwise, there is no reason why we should slide into clashes or into war again as long as we understand and know what we are doing. This is a very unfortunate statement. A recent human rights report released by the United Nations Mission in South Sudan's Department of Human Rights said conflict-related sexual violence is on the rise in parts of South Sudan. A report released in May also indicated a similar trend, saying violence across some parts of the country is increasing. For VON News, I'm working Simon Wudu in Juba. Listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Officials with UNICEF in Sudan are expressing concern over the situation of children in camps for internally displaced persons in Blue Nile State. UNICEF's field officer for Blue Nile, White Nile, and Sinar State says about 17,000 children in various camps for IDPs in Blue Nile are living in what he calls miserable health conditions. For VOA News, Michael Atit reports from Khartoum. UNICEF says the situation of children in camps across Blue Nile, White Nile and Sinari states is worrying. Khalid Musa is UNICEF's field officer overseeing operations in Sudan's three states. He told this program via a messaging application from Adamazin Town in Blue Nile State that his teams have registered more than 300,000 internally displaced persons who fled recent intercommunal violence in Blue Nile. UNICEF Sudan is highly concerned about the status of children and their families impacted by the violence. We are noting that over 340,000 people are displaced including around 17,000 children and 20,000 women. And the numbers continue to change, and uh, we are still verifying the exact number of children displaced. In mid-July, more than 100 people were killed and nearly 200 others injured in Blue Nile State during intercommunal violence that erupted between two communities in the area. The UNICEF field officer says his office has documented more than 200 cases of acute malnutrition among children and 600 others who are suffering from moderate acute malnutrition. Musa says cases of other diseases are also increasing among displaced persons who live in congested environments, and he says the situation could worsen over the next few months. This is a critical uh, the rainy season might further increase the risk of disease outbreaks and, and epidemics, especially those newly displaced, being most at risk. The displaced need to be protected from diseases such as malaria. In addition, UNICEF and partners are working to eliminate open defecation, which is, uh, poses a major hazard to children and communities. Dr. Abdurrahman Chol at Al-Damazin Hospital confirms that more than 15,000 children in displaced camps are exposed in harsh living conditions in congested environments. He says many displaced families are not getting enough food and some children have developed malnutrition. 
هم الناس المحتاجين طعام صراحة لأن الوضع الوضع دكتور تشول سيز ذيس بيبل ار ان ا سيريس نيد اوف فود سبلاي ات ذا مومنت اس وي سبيك هي سيز ذير ار بيبل ستيل ان غينيز ويزاوت بروبر سيرفيسز ذير ار اولسو بيبل هو هاف نوت ليفت ذير هاوسز ذي ار اولسو سفرينج فروم هانجر دكتور موسى سيز اني فاذر فايلنس ان ذا اريا كود افكت ويمن اند تشيلدرن هو ان داير نيد اوف هيلب The current violence further exacerbates the humanitarian situation at a time when funding for the 2022 Sudan Humanitarian Response Plan as well as UNICEF Humanitarian Action for Children HAC appeal stand at around 20%, more than halfway through the year. Over 14 million people, including 8 million children, require life-saving humanitarian assistance. Earlier this week, Medicines Sans Frontiers or MSF, an international organization that provides medical assistance to people affected by conflict, epidemics and disasters, expressed concern over an increase in malnutrition cases among children in Sudanese states including the Darfur region. MSF says insecurity, intercommunal conflicts and lack of access to food and health services have contributed to an increase in cases of malnutrition. For VOA News, I am Michael Atid in Khartoum. From Khartoum, we move to Nairobi, where Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto says he is standing in next week's presidential election on a platform of growing economy and tackling corruption as he tries to woo voters hit by a rising cost of living. David Doyle has more. Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto says he'll publish government contracts with China and deport Chinese nationals working in the country illegally. That's if he wins the top job in a presidential election on August 9th. The policies are designed to appeal to citizens pummeled by mounting debt and a skyrocketing cost of living. We will put the bricks on more borrowing. It may not come to zero, but we will begin the journey to slow down on borrowing. Because they say when you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. Kenya, which has a 2022 to 2023 budget of just under 28 billion US dollars, has a deficit of 6.2% of GDP and owes China about 8 billion dollars. That debt has funded an infrastructure building spree under President Uhuru Kenyatta. The contracts are not public, and some Kenyan organizations have lodged court cases to try to force full disclosure of the deals. Ruto says his is an economic platform. But that economic platform includes public resources, which means we have to tackle corruption head on, right? And in fact, in this election, we are probably the only team that has a plan on how to fight corruption. His main rival, Raila Odinga, has also vowed to tackle corruption and the cost of living. Ruto has painted the election as a clash between hustlers and dynasties. The hustlers are Kenya's poorest, who he has vowed to lift up. Dynasties is a jab at Odinga. This is his fifth crack at the presidency. It's also a dig at Ruto's current boss, son of Kenya's former president, Jomo Kenyatta. 
Uhuru Kenyatta has backed Odinga in a bid to sideline Ruto, who the president describes as unfit for office. We love to hear your remarks on issues in this broadcast. My colleague Nabil Biagio is ready with this week's listener comments. Over to you, Nabil. Thank you, John. Nearly all of you who reached out to us this week had something to say about President Salvaquir's announcement to extend the transitional period for another two years. Mabor Alatrengo in Rumbek in Lake State says, Hello John Tanza, it is clear that our leaders do not care about their citizens. The extension of the transitional period of Artigono for another 24 months is not a good move. Our suffering is extended too. These series of extensions will not bring anything. Imagine it was extended two years in 2018, then 2019 for 100 days. In 2022, it was extended for two years and now another extension of 24 months. This is a true indication of hijacking power. Mading Malwalalwong from Malakal Town says, If time was to restart the tape, we can restart the year 1983 to allow those who call themselves liberators to liberate it again. The extension of the transitional period is unbecoming and disregarded by we, the citizens. Mr. Kier and his first vice president must step down and leave power since everything is getting worse day by day. Martin Manuel Wugol in Numuli says, Hello, John Tanz and Nabil. The extension of the revitalized peace agreement is politically the right thing to do for the peace and unity of South Sudanese people to continue because conducting premature elections will take the country back to square one and no one will accept the situation ever again. However, the roadmap to peace extension technically replaced the revitalized agreement and it's solely owned by the South Sudanese politicians of which it shall be politically easy to implement compared to imposing the peace agreement. Mal Adawmal in Port Town says, Hello, John and Nabil. With the transitional period being extended up to 2025, this means the suffering of South Sudanese is at infinity. How will the greedy politicians achieve the implementation of priority tasks of the agreement that they have failed already in the first three years of the transitional period? Could that not be a trick of looting more resources? Shame on them. The views expressed here do not reflect the views of VOA or of this program. We appreciate hearing what you think. Keep those comments coming. Keep your comments brief and we shall sample some of them every Friday. Our WhatsApp number is plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Next, an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. South Sudan is in dire need of humanitarian aid. The country is facing unprecedented levels of food insecurity, with some areas of the country in danger of tipping into famine. This is a complex situation caused by a number of factors, including sporadic violence, four years of above-average rainfall that caused the worst flooding in decades, washing away fields, killing livestock, and displacing placing hundreds of thousands of people, a shortage of food available for export as a result of Russia's war on Ukraine, and the lingering effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
According to the Famine Early Warning Systems Network, or FuseNet, managed by USAID, 7 to 8 million South Sudanese people will likely require food assistance, with the highest level of need expected between July and September. Less than two years after South Sudan declared its independence from Sudan, a five-year civil war caused widespread destruction and extreme violence against the civilian population, resulting in dislocated populations and disrupted food production. Today, around 2 million people are internally displaced, while another 2.3 million found refuge abroad. Of these, some 700,000 have returned to South Sudan over the past several months and are trying to rebuild their lives, but resources are scarce. In the meantime, an additional 1 million people were displaced by flooding last year, with another 600,000 in the path of expanding flood waters this year. South Sudan's economy has not recovered from the war, nor has the farming sector. It is not self-sufficient and must import food. But the rising prices and increasing scarcity of staple foods previously imported from Ukraine are increasing food insecurity. According to the United Nations, South Sudan is bracing for its worst ever hunger crisis. Working through USAID, the United States government is providing more than $117 million in additional humanitarian assistance for the people of South Sudan. The money will go to the United Nations World Food Program and will provide food and nutrition assistance to more than one million crisis-affected people in South Sudan. The United States continues to stand with the people of South Sudan as the country experiences compounding crises. We remain committed to providing humanitarian assistance around the world as both a moral imperative and as a direct benefit to the well-being of the United States. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. That's all we prepared for you this Friday. We now leave you with General Paulino and the song City Moana. Listening to General Paulino with the song City Moana. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us this evening. Remember to join us next week for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. City Moana, City Moana.